0: For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It'd be a pretty ridiculous thing to to take a novel, any novel off the shelf, um, and, and simply flip open the pages to any given line and read one sentence and expect to have any idea as to what's really going on. In the novel, just to have to have one sentence out of context would make no sense. You wouldn't know anything about, uh, really, about the characters, about the plot, about the backgrounds, about the nuance or the the tension involved. You wouldn't get any irony, any resolution. You wouldn't see tragedy or comedy. Um, you'd miss it all if you just had one line. It wouldn't make any sense at all. And and yet, often we come to the Bible. Uh, In kind of a similar way where we we flip through, we pick and choose a verse, we pull it out of context and we expect uh, to understand really what's going on without knowing the larger story sometimes in which it fits. Um, Because the Bible is also a story, even though it was written over thousands of years by over 40 different authors in three different languages. it's a cohesive story from start to finish. And in Genesis we see the story of creation come about and then we go all the way to the end of Revelation where we see the new creation come and and repair that which was broken and and restore the way <laughs> things the way that God intended them to be. In order to understand each piece we need to understand the whole and particularly with Jesus. In order to understand Jesus you have to understand the entirety. Um, Sometimes it's it's misunderstood that that Jesus came to perhaps start a new religion. He started something new, that he founded a religion, and that's simply not the case at all. That Jesus came as the fulfillment, that Jesus came as the long-expected one, that that he is coming into the middle of, of an ongoing story. And so that's why the Old Testament is extremely important, because without understanding the Old Testament, we don't understand Jesus. And and Jesus helps us to understand uh, some of the the complex characters and narratives and things that go on in the Old Testament. Uh, And so we we both work together in part of this larger story, of which we too are a part. So we continue the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17 do not think that i have come to abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them Uh, the law and the prophets in that day and age was a way of talking about the old testament the bible as they knew it the law and the prophets so don't think that i've come to abolish it meaning jesus was probably responding to some criticisms uh, that that he was interpreting the, the old testament in a different way in a new way uh, and, and was ignoring some of the things that the religious leaders of the day felt were important, and so he was being accused of trying to start a new religion of dismissing the Old Testament. And he said, "No, no, no! I'm not starting something new. I'm the fulfillment of all which has to come." Uh, he, he claims Jesus does that. That all, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him. That he is the one to whom it all points. Uh, verse eighteen. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. The iota and the dot is is referring to the the script that's actually used. And he said not even you know period or apostrophe, not even the smallest of period or apostrophe, the smallest letter will fade away. All of it is still the inspired word of God. And that's important for us to be reminded of sometimes that the Old Testament is still the inspired word of God. Jesus says that he fulfills the law. And one way I like to think of that is if you look at at the Passover. Uh, So Passover is when uh, the the, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they were told to slaughter a lamb, put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the wrath of God would come over them. That's a, that's a, a standalone story, extremely important in the life and the history of Israel, extremely important story. But even within that story we see these prophecies all pointing to Jesus who is the true and better Passover lamb. Uh, Not that it's an exact parallel because Jesus wasn't a physical lamb and 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 we don't actually eat uh, the sacrifice after it's been made and uh, and so, so there are these parallels that Jesus is fulfilling. He's kind of a type and we see this all the way through the Old Testament. And, and, and this Passover idea imagery, as well, is, is also something that is to come in the future uh, when the final judgment of God comes that those of us who have the blood of Jesus, uh, the wrath of God will pass over us. And so there's this ongoing fulfillment to which the Old Testament points. Um, even here in, at this point in the book of Matthew, we see that some things from the Old Testament had already been fulfilled. So the, the long-awaited result has come about. So you've got like John the Baptist coming uh, or, or the incarnation and the virgin birth. Things that, that were in the Old Testament, perhaps not even understood up until that moment in the Old Testament, were now being unveiled and fulfilled. Uh, we have some that, that would be fulfilled in the near future with Jesus, which would be you know, crucifixion, and resurrection. We have some fulfillments that are still coming in the future. For example, the second coming of Christ, when there is a final judgment, when there is finally uh, the new kingdom come and sin is finally dealt with, the the head of the serpent is finally crushed once and for all. We, We await these things. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus, because he is the one to whom the Old Testament points, is also the one who has the authority on the proper interpretation. And that's one of the major issues going on in this day is different schools have different interpretations, and Jesus is coming in as the authority, as the one to whom it all points to say, this is the correct interpretation, this is really what the Old Testament is about, and this is really what it means for us to obey. For I tell them, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, That's got to be a shocking thing for his audience to hear because the Pharisees were known as as the righteous ones. And Jesus says to this crowd that's gathered to hear the sermon that that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never (laughs) enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, Jesus is often accused of of being all about sort of grace, almost this like passive hippie who just is all about love, it's just love, and and certainly while love is a major part of Jesus and and what Jesus' mission is, (coughs) Jesus also really raises the bar on the expectations of holiness and righteousness. See, the Pharisees had an interpretation of the law. They took the Old Testament, and their interpretation was that it was all external. They set a bar themselves, one that they could reach, and they valued the things, uh, or they chose to value the things that they already valued, and ignored others. And so the the current, traditional interpretation and application of the Pharisees was outward compliance. As long as it looks like <laughs> you're you're following the law, then that's all that matters. And it was all about the show. None of it was about the heart or the motives. You just had to do what the law said and then God would accept you. And so there was this external uh, compliance thing and Jesus is saying, no, unless your righteousness is better than that, unless it's deeper than that, unless it goes to the heart, then you're missing the point. In Ezekiel 36, um, the prophet says, uh, he's speaking about a time in the future, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey all my rules so the people are being accused of having these hard hearts of stone and there's sort of a mixed imagery that's going on here where the the law was given to Moses, it was written on these tablets of stone. (coughs) And so the law was an external, outside of people. And, And what we see through the Old Testament in the story, in the narrative that is the Old Testament, that people continued, to fail, they weren't able to live up to the law. And the Pharisees are ongoing in that, that they they feigned outward compliance, but their hearts weren't there, they weren't really living up to what was supposed to be there. And so there's this this hardness of hearts in sin where we can't actually obey, but there will come a time when God will give us hearts of flesh, meaning He renews our heart, He gives us a new heart. And in Jesus, that's what's going on. Where we have this heart of stone, but through the work of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, he puts his Holy Spirit within us, who gives us a new heart. It's called regeneration, where our hearts now become flesh and malleable. And instead of having this law written externally on tablets of stone, now they're written on the flesh of our heart, meaning that the law is now internal. It's seared on our conscience and it's in our minds, it's in our, our hearts. So there's something different that's gone on where we obey not just because we have this external law, but rather we obey because we truly want to, because it's written on our hearts, it's internal motivation instead of external. Um, It's been said that the law in the Old Testament can be broken down into three categories. Uh, There is the civil law, you see uh, coming out of, of Egypt, when Moses has the law written, they, they're, they're not an organized people. They don't have a political system, they don't have jails, they don't have, 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 have laws sort of to govern civic life. And so there's these civil laws to sort of keep people from falling into anarchy and, and everything to, to be chaotic. And so we have those in the Old Testament. Um, there are also ceremonial laws that, that People needed to do in order to bring themselves to God to teach people who God was through their behavior, uh, and, and and to sort of magnify sin and sacrifice and to see the love and provision for God through the the ceremonial laws. And then there was also the moral law, which was uh, which was God's heart for people in their behavior and. Um, in the civil, it's done away with. We're now uh, we are not a people identified as a nation, the nation of Israel, but now the, the gospel is going to all nations, and so so now it's no longer about the kingdom of Israel, the people living under a government, but rather we are under in the kingdom of God, which is going forward, and so our allegiance is to Jesus. So the in, in Jesus, the civil law is kind of put aside. Um, it's still important to understand, and it's still it's still important in the Old Testament for us to, to see how it fits into the larger story but we're not bound by it. And then you have the ceremonial law, which is done away with because now in Jesus we have a true and greater high priest who sits on the throne on our behalf, that we have the spirit who dwells within us, that we are now the temple, and we have direct access to God through the work of Jesus. We don't need a priestly system and a sacrificial system. It's all Jesus. But we see in the moral law that Jesus doesn't do away with it, but rather he cuts through the faulty understandings of it, and he gets to the heart of the matter. And he says... Uh, that there's an expectation here um, of righteousness. And so for us as Christians, as we look at the the larger story we're a part of, as we follow Christ, it's not about the civil and the ceremonial, and it's not about uh, external obedience to a set of rules and guidelines that maybe we pick and choose, but rather there's an expectation of holiness, of, of righteousness in our lives, that it's supposed to be written on our hearts and so should be a natural outworking of who we are and what we do. You see, he puts the Holy Spirit within us, and there should be an inner yearning, an inner yearning for holiness, not just to try and do just enough so that God has to let us in, but if we are saved by Jesus and His righteousness washes us clean, that we are saved by grace, not through works, but saved by grace through faith, it's all in Jesus, then the response, the ex- expectation on our lives... If we truly understand what's been done for us, the expectation that Jesus has for us is that we are going to press into righteousness. That's written on our hearts. It's an internal motivation that we are we are detested by sin like He is, and we're driven towards a true righteousness which comes from inside, which is a lifelong process. So, um, as you look at at the works of the law, is it? Uh, an outward thing, an external thing, that this 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 morality that you have to live up to in order for God to, to to sort of welcome you in. Is it this external thing or is it internal? That you have an internal longing for for God's life, for God's presence, for God's uh, God's holiness and righteousness to flow out of our lives. And we should be driven from, from it written on our hearts of flesh, the spirit within us motivating us towards shedding off sin and pursuing holiness. So it's a challenge uh, for you in going, what is my motivation for for goodness, for good works, external or internal? And if it's external, it's prayerfully just trying to see um, truly the work that God has done in our lives, what Jesus is calling us into, and allow that to sear on our hearts so that our motivation comes from inside and we walk towards righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you uh, that we have an opportunity this week just to dive into it. Um, this life is not about a religion, but rather it's about following you, Jesus. And thank you that in this sermon we have your words. We have your call on our lives to follow you and where to go. Help us to um, to bow our knee to you. Um, and because we love you, because we're, we're driven to follow you, I pray that we would uh, walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Talk again soon. Have a great day.